Hello and welcome back to Mind of Success. I'm your host, Moni Millares, a Mexican-British living in Asia. I work in fintech and build digital banks from scratch. In my years in the industry, I've realized most of us are in a vulnerable financial position. However, building a business can be a catalyst for change. So I created this podcast. It's about business stories we do not talk about. I chat with entrepreneurs, CEOs, and experts about their journeys, struggles, and lessons to extract gems of wisdom and practical tools so that we can thrive and create the impact we want. Hello, everyone. I hope you're having an amazing week. So today we've got Robbie Swale. He is, well, before I tell you who he is, so we're friends, right? And we met via coaching school years ago. If I've been in Asia for five years, probably Robbie and I met like eight, 2015, nine, 20, 2015 it would have been. That's when oh. I did the, my coaching training. Yeah, yeah. So that's when we, that's so, when we met. Yeah, we met in 2015. That's a yeah. very We've known each other a long time. Ago. Yes, I know. So, Ravi, welcome to the show. I'll introduce you in a second. But <laughs> yeah, first. it's a pleasure to be here. Welcome. Sh- <laughs> it's also fun that, we, you know, until we reconnected to the podcast, we hadn't spoken for quite a long time. So, you know, we, we've both known each other a long time. And, and the internet, you know, we were saying when we spoke last week or the week before, the internet makes it feel like we've spoken more recently than we have. But it's a real yeah, pleasure to be reconnecting with you in this way and for um, this reason, too. Thank you. And it's a pleasure to have you in the show. So everyone, now I will introduce Robbie. (laughs) Other than being my friend, uh, Robbie is a leadership coach. He is the author of the book, How to Start When You Are Stuck. And he is the host of the podcast, The Coach's Journey podcast. So in before like his previous life, He's also got like tons of experience in, uh, well, he'll introduce himself properly, but like charity, he's gone like through many career changes, leadership development, like many, many career changes. And that's why he is like perfect host for perfect, not host, but guest for today. (laughs) So Robbie, you wrote a book. And then it's how to start when you're stuck, basically. How to start anything, the book, the project, the podcast. And I think, of course, we've been like two years of pandemic, but one of the beautiful things of the pandemic is that a lot of people started a project, right? We all were like, oh, we're bored. We're going crazy, need a creative outlet. But as part of that creative process, we also have doubts and we have insecurities and sometimes we stop and then we don't, we don't finish or we just like stop ourselves from starting. So that's why I love the, the title of your, of your book and, and basically the essence of the book. But before we go into the detail, I think like the common theme of self-doubt, it is widely known as imposter syndrome. So as a coach and as an author that went through the creative process, how, how have you managed to handle imposter syndrome? What is, what is imposter syndrome? Yeah. And I should say actually, Monica, that possibly by the time, like any minute now, not quite, but any week now, 
the next book in my series will come out. And that was actually called How to Keep Going When You Want to Give Up. So by the, even oh, by cool. the time, I'm not sure exactly if it'll be out by the time this episode comes out, but it, you know, sometime soon. So I've been, you know, I love the way you asked that question. And, and I think you're right about the pandemic, like lots of really, really difficult things about it for many, many, many people. And some people found some creative space in that and started things or, um, finally did things they've been meaning to do. I think like publishers received more manuscripts than they could, you know, they always received more than they could deal with and they received twice as many or something over the pandemic in the UK because so many people were finally making the space to finish the things that they'd had in mind for a long time. So I like the frame of that. And, and I've been thinking a lot recently, finalizing that second book about why we give up sometimes. Mm. And look, I think like, it, you know, it's almost hard well, maybe we'll get into the story. I know you wanted to talk a bit about the story of the book. Maybe we'll get into that a bit later. It's hard to answer your question without talking about that a little bit in some ways, because mm -hmm. the way that I, the imposter syndrome thing, the self-doubt is, is, is so interesting and so pervasive. And a really key, um, a really key moment for me was that for Christmas, I think the year before I started my coaching business, so maybe Christmas 2014, yeah. my brother gave me, it might have been my birthday, my brother gave me two books, one of which was a book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And the funny thing about The War of Art was when I got this book out and I went to put it on my bookshelf, I already had a copy of it. Oh. And, and no one, and, I, and after that, I was convinced that I think my mum had given it to me like 10 years earlier. Yeah. She wouldn't own up to ever having heard of or given me this book. I couldn't find yeah. out where this book came Sorry. from, but I had it there already. And what's interesting is, retrospectively, it's probably it's one of the most important books I've ever read. Really? Um, for me and, and, and my growth. Um, and well, I'm going to tell you, you may not need to after what I'm, what I'm okay. about to say. Okay, okay. But, you know, it's interesting that it like, you know, I didn't, I had the book and I didn't read it and it took someone giving me it again for me to read it. And I've now got, still got both those copies, right? I thought I might give one away, but in fact, I like the fact that I've got both these copies of the book um, <laughs> sitting there to remind myself that it took being given it twice to really set me on the path that has probably, you know, created the most personal growth in me. And all of it is about the self-doubt, which for some people we might call imposter syndrome. Now, what Stephen Pressfield calls it in the war of art so he's the author of the book is resistance that's his it's that's his word and he uses that to think of what, what he i think he might call it the the kind of universal anti-creativity force or the the universal force that stops us doing the things we really want to do now there's lots of great things about the war of art and there's lots of ways to think about it but probably the most important lesson that i took away is everybody has this stuff yeah. So he gives great examples of, of you know, or I've heard, I can't remember which ones are in the war of art and which ones I've heard since then of, you know, the great actors like Laurence Olivier, you know, you, he used to throw up on stage, right, even at the end of his career, no, just before he went on stage, even to the end of his career. And, you know, I've heard that Paolo Coelho, who wrote The Alchemist, he, he, you know, schedules into his day. He knows he only needs to do, I can't remember what it is, like 90 minutes of writing a day, but he has to schedule in six hours or something, I'll, I'm get, probably getting the details wrong, because he knows that he's going to procrastinate and worry and fret for the first four and a half of yeah. it, let's say. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman, I've heard this story recently. Um, you know, he, he has, he, he knows he'll get distracted and not do the writing so much that he's, he has a room which he goes to, which has got nothing in it except a pad. 
and a pen. And so he has two choices to write or to do nothing. And that's what it takes him to actually do to, the thing that he knows. Right. Because he even if do you do, do nothing, writing. like because it's not distraction, nothing in the phone, it's like okay. sitting in the nothingness. Then the thoughts started coming in and then it's like a creative process on its own. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the more you like you sit with, the more you start paying attention to people's stories about creativity, which, which I think of as in the broadest sense, you know, it's like all the things we might create from nothing, which could be a change in our life. It could be a new kind of relationship. It could be a business. It doesn't have to be a painting or a, a, a book. Okay. Um, you know, th there's all these ways that again, you'll start. And I, you know, it's nice when you've written a book, like I have, you start getting the stories back from people of, yeah, all the things, the crazy ways they distract themselves. One of my clients, you know, I just loved it when she did this. She was writing an ebook. We were working on that. That was the product you know that was the aim of the coaching she what she was so much didn't want to do that on some level that she started this cool little side business that she'd like had in mind for ages and it was like her way of procrastinating was to do this well, other quite useful and quite important thing that wasn't as useful or important as the book she wanted to write but you know what I think many of us do that I've discovered that like now I've been doing the podcast for what over over a year let's say but I think at some point when I started that I was like in a funky emotional place. And even now when I get in a funky emotional place, I procrastinate looking into my emotions. And instead, what do I do? Oh, it's podcast. It's amazing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but it's some sort of distraction, coping mechanism, passion, uh, whatever you want to call it. But uh, it does take you, takes your mind away from the thing that you don't want to look at or do. Yeah. Or... So we're, we're ingenious, absolutely ingenious at not doing the things that we really want to do. And um, really the lesson that I took from the war of art, I mean, that it, it, you know, I, I took the lesson from the war of art and then I tested it in my life and watched it for it with clients was essentially this, right? If resistance is always there and everyone has it, then no longer is it a reason for me not to do things because it's just a thing that's there. And I used to think it was a reason, like it was a sign. It told, I used to think it told me something about me, that essentially it was a sign that I shouldn't, I, it, I'm not the kind of person that starts a business or this business idea is a bad idea or I'm not the kind of person who writes because I'm not very good. I used to think it was a signal of all those things. If instead it's just a thing that happens to anyone who wants to create something important, then, you know, it's, it's there, the but we don't have to listen to it, right? Too many people, I think, and, and I say this kind of with as much empathy as I can, because I include me in this, spend too much time listening to the, the stories that our thoughts tell us. And it's like, instead of that, we can just start things and do things and take action and I had a funny thing that happened with my book actually which is that I had a quote from Stephen Pressfield in the front of it yeah um, and just just before publishing I was like like almost the last manuscript that I submitted <laughs> I was like I better check this quote because actually I, I think I've checked it but I, I'm not sure and I went and the quote was um inspiration is always around us but it's when we make a start that we let inspiration in Oh, I love that quote. So inspiration is always around us, but it's when we make a start that we let inspiration in. And that's important because sometimes the story we tell ourselves is like, oh, the imposter syndrome, because it's the same thing here. That imposter syndrome is, is resistance. Resistance is imposter syndrome. It's like self-doubt. They're all the, really describing the same thing. You know, it's like we, one of the imposter syndrome stories would be, 
um, if I was a writer, I'd have inspiration or I'd know what to write. Like, I don't know what to write, therefore I'm probably not I'm supposed not to be a writer. writer. Yeah, exactly. Like right? But if actually inspiration happens when we start, now that's a really different story. Oh, um, now the I funny thing about that. the quote, the funny thing about the quote, right, is, and I would, is I went to find it and I couldn't find it anywhere. I Googled it and I, I, I couldn't find Stephen Pressfield having said it. I got the war of art out. I basically read it and I, I skimmed his other books that I've got. I couldn't find it. I could find like a chapter where in the war of art, where he'd like talked about it in a much more poetic way about um, muses and angels. And it's an amazing, the war of art is a strangely both very poetic and very practical book. And it's like, he flips almost from one to the other often in from chapter to chapter. And it's, it's a really easy read. So people should definitely read it after they've read my book, of course. Um, and uh, it, it, what was funny, so that the, the end of the story is, I did find the quote in the end in something I'd written. Oh, now it was your no, quote. It was my quote, right? And here's, here's, a, here's an imposter syndrome. This is a speculation. I don't know if, if I'd realized that was my quote, I don't know if I'd have put it on page three of my book, right? Because I might have thought, who am I to have a quote yeah. at the start? Who am I to be saying something wise, right? But because it's I'd already got it on the page three. Famous person, yeah. Exactly. Someone wise, wise, and because they're published, therefore they know what's going on. Therefore they're, you know, they're an important person who counts. They can have a page three of my book. But once it was there, and because I'd been thinking about all this so much, I left it. And I guess the last piece of all that is, of course, I also know because of Stephen Pressfield's book and because of Liz Gilbert's book, Big Magic, and yeah. all these other people that have written about, about similar things, that, and because of the story that Paolo Coelho told and all those kinds of things, that, that, that you know, serious people have these crazy thoughts as well. And, and they're just a messy human too. Well, and so we it's are. Like, all of us, we're messy humans. So the imposter syndrome is on a few levels. It's like, how do we learn to cope with the voices so that we yeah. don't listen to them? And how do we understand that, that just because we have the voice doesn't mean we shouldn't okay. do the thing? I'm going to stop you here. So yeah, before, do. because those are very good points, but before we go into those good points, I want to go to the previous really good point. <laughs> yeah. So can you summarize that? So resistance, you talked about like this energy <laughs> that stops mm -hmm. us from being creative and doing the thing that we want to do. And we called it like resistance as such. Yeah. But what it, I got lost at some point. Yeah. What is What's it? The, yeah. What it's, is it? Well, there's probably two levels we could talk about it on. We could talk about the symptoms. I, what does resistance look like? And we could talk about um, what it, what, what, what I think it is. Well, and I think a lot of that is from what Stephen Pressfield thinks it is. Um, so the symptoms, resistance is um, all the reasons we don't do the things we want to do. So oh, I like, love that definition. Right. It's like it's the, it's the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome that stop us from, you know, asking someone out who we really like, but also stop us from starting our blog. Um, it's the way we let ourselves um, end up spending three hours scrolling Facebook instead, you know, when, when really down, down, deep down, we wish we were making the thing. We regret every week that we haven't started making the, the writing the book uh, we want to write yeah. or, 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 or whatever. Or starting the business. Or... Exactly. Um, what else, how else does it show up? Like it, it's, it's my old client who like starting her cool little Facebook clothing exchange group 
when the thing that she really wanted to do was um, write her ebook and get that piece of the business going. It, you know, for my dad, you know, he got really ill once. And I think you can make a strong argument. It was because he was getting, you know, he's, he's published, he's, he's been a writer and a, for his whole life. And every decade he's come back to that. Um, and one time I was writing a piece about this kind of thing. It's in, it's, it's in I think it's in How to Start When You're Stuck. Um, and, you know, it's like, it really felt like he'd got ill because he was getting too close to writing the thing that really he should be writing, you know? But it's also why we give up. It's all the reasons we give up. It's like um, that we don't, we feel like we don't get the results that we want. It's the worries. It's um, all the procrastination that we do on all the ways that we do it. You know, it's it's all those things. So does that give you a sense of what it is? Yes, because now like you are linking a few concepts and I'm like, we started with imposter syndrome and then we're like, oh, the resistance, this energy. But then it's basically all these things that just distract us from. Yeah. And and then it's like from doing what we want to do. We it's need not to imposter careful, like, syndrome. It's just like all the other things that we do. Oh, that's yeah, part of it. Yeah. Well, I would say like for a lot of people, imposter syndrome is part of it because it's all the thoughts. It's all the thoughts that stop us, which aren't necessarily true. Or sometimes they are true. I can say something about that, about imposter syndrome, because I think in a minute, but like sometimes the thoughts are true, but that doesn't mean it's right for us to not do the thing. Yeah. Right. It's like, I, I don't know how to write a book, right? I, that might be true, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't write a book. Correct. Right. Because, and I had this great thought, this is, you know, this isn't in the book because I only had it in the spring talking about the book, but actually, so we were talking, I was talking with somebody about, you know, this, this thing, which is kind of an imposter syndrome thought. It's like, who am I to do this? And, and look, one of the things that I have learned from my writing is that I wasn't, I had to become the person I who could that. write the book. Yes. I wasn't the person who could do it. Who am I to do this was correct. It's like, oh, I, I don't know how to do this. And I'm, I'm not that person yet. But I, if only by starting and writing will I become the person. Yes, but that is very true. It happens the same, like, to me with the podcast. Yeah. I'm like, now I feel like, oh, I'm a podcaster, <laughs> right? It, but it's like, I feel I do all these things that the, a professional podcaster would do. But a year ago, I have absolutely no idea what, building a podcast means and yeah. what it takes and, and all the internal shifts that you might have to make. But it's because you started doing the thing like a year ago. No, you were not an author and I was not a podcaster. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But then as you do it, then you start becoming that person. And therefore by, by doing you become, and therefore by becoming you overcome imposter syndrome. And I think it's almost like you, you you can't become, you can't be the person. You can't not be an imposter, if that makes sense, until you've done the thing. Like everyone who hasn't done the thing can't say they've done the thing. <laughs> and it's like, you can do a course, right? We, we could have done it because I feel exactly the same about podcasting. I've been podcasting for like two and a half years. And I, now I luck, I was lucky because I'd been through some of this with my writing already. So I kind of knew how to deal with myself. Um, like a big part of keeping going, the keeping going book, one of the parts of it is like deal with yourself. Like you're going to have to learn to manage, to be your own psychologist to a certain extent if you want to do important things. Um, and 
you know, so like I'd learned to deal with myself with podcasting, but I still had to go through all that thing. And I still, you know, it's like people look at me and say, oh, you've been podcasting a long time. And I'm like, yeah, but I still basically do it in my, in my like bedroom. You know, it's not quite, but it basically is. And, you know, I'm, I'm not Tim Ferriss or Brene Brown. Like I'm, I'm just the same guy, right? Who has the same doubts as everybody else. And now I, I do know that I'm not a podcasting imposter because I actually have a podcast. So there's exactly. like, a, there's like an undeniable thing. Yes, right? exactly. Like even That's my self-doubt and my resistance can't, yes, can't get around the fact disappears. that there are two and a half hours of podcasting. Yes. Two and a half years, sorry, of, of yes, podcasting. Two and a half years. Yes, exactly. Often my podcasts are really long, so they're not quite two and a half hours, <laughs> but they, they almost are. But yeah, it's like at that point, you can't deny it. But until then, like I am an imposter of a podcaster. Like, if I claim to be a podcaster and, and I'm not a podcaster, then like I am an imposter and that's okay because it's true. Because you're learning, you are embarking right, but the, in the But it's journey. not a reason to not start. Correct. Uh, I think it was, um, it might have been on a Tim Ferriss podcast that I heard someone say or him say, if I only did the things I was qualified for, if I'd only ever done the things I was qualified for, I'd be sweeping a street somewhere. Like yeah. you have to be yeah, always to do... stretching yourself. Yes, I agree. If you want to grow, I guess. I don't have yeah, a judgment on people have, who don't want to yes, do that. But yes. you know. not everyone, not everyone has to. Yeah, that's a very good no, point. So coming back to your other good points, the voices in the head. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I'll just leave it there and I'll let you continue with a train of thought. Yeah. I mean, I think. One, an important thing to say, Monica, is we can get better at everything by practicing. Mm. And that includes dealing with the voices the in voice. our heads. Yes. Right. Dealing with the imposter syndrome, dealing with um, the self-doubt, dealing with, you know, what and different, I think on the coaching school, I don't know if, if, if it was when we were in a workshop together, you know, they're called gremlins. It's like oh, all yeah, these the voices gremlins. that yeah, we, we have, Yeah, we call right? them the gremlins, yeah. Yeah, like all these voices in our heads, these thoughts that we have that we think are true, you know, we are not our thoughts no. and we're amazing storytelling creatures humans and and look to go back to the the second way to talk about resistance would be you know like what do what what is it in some ways like why do we all procrastinate why do we all have these self-doubting thoughts why do we have an imposter syndrome sense about us sometimes it's like the gremlins piece is the same. I remember when we learned that, you know, it's like to keep us safe, right? Yes. That's on one level why all that stuff exists. And resistance, you could think about it as like the part of us that wants to keep itself safe. Because if we do this thing, whether it's ask someone we really care about out or start a business or write a book or start a podcast, we will change. And the part of us that goes into that journey will not live through it right? It will be gone, transcended and included and, and transformed by the end. We've just been talking about that, right? You yeah. become a podcaster by doing it. And suddenly yeah. you're no longer the person who was afraid of podcasting before. No. Maybe you're afraid of some parts of it still, because you're speaking to somebody new or you're doing something crazy or something more vulnerable or whatever it is. But like, you know, you don't, in one part of you does not get out of these kinds of courageous, creative pursuits alive. Yes, it just And dies. so there will be there will be thought, thoughts and parts of us that, that want to keep us safe and they may be out of date and they want to keep themselves safe. And that doesn't mean we have to listen to them. 
And I think that just to say the last thing about self-doubt, about the thoughts in our heads is we can, I feel like one of the things that reading the war of art and then practicing in the way I practiced has done is given me a very low tolerance for the uh, stories that I tell myself. The and the stories. Right. So yes. I'm able to just, I've, I've got much better at going, oh, that's a story. And no matter how I, uncomfortable I feel right now, I'm going to still do this next action. And I used to be somebody, and it's like, I had to, the two that I always think about is a really good book idea and a really good business idea. And I, you know, in my like mid twenties and I let, you know, all this stuff we've been well, talking about talk, talk me out of them. And then as Liz Gilbert says in Big Magic, it's a beautiful thing. She says, the idea will come to you. If you don't take it, it'll find someone else. It will, yes. It will. And I, you know, the book that I would have written exists. It's like one of my friends gave it to me once and I still haven't read it because <gasps> I felt so sick that it that it that I hadn't written the book it was a trivial book but a brilliant one about a computer game that I played a lot of and it was like it would have been a wonderful book and and the business exists and I actually got introduced it be it bizarrely the business that I was going to start exists and not only that but it's done by a friend of a friend so actually also the like the universe came back and said you didn't do these things here they are you better do the next yes. thing yes and I think that's such a beautiful point because like you mentioned we change as part of the creative process but the part of the resistance is, I don't know if we know this consciously or subconsciously, but we know that we will change. Therefore, we know that part of us will die in the process. Yeah. We will not be the same person. Therefore, the person who I am now will disappear. It will evolve. Yeah. And that is like very powerful. It's like and some scary, people right? find it. Yeah, exactly. Some people find it um, exciting. Others find it like scary. I think once you've been through it a few times, then it is a reasonable thing to find it exciting. Until you've done that, it is a very reasonable thing to find it scary. It's scary, yes, because then if, um, if I am not, so if I were to leave fintech, for example, yeah, who are you? <laughs> then who am I? I'm not yeah. like a fintech person anymore. Then it's like, oh, what do I do now? But yeah. that is the same with everyone else. Like if you. It's not that you leave something, but even the act of starting something, that means that your identity starts changing and then you'll be the author. You'll be the artist, you'll be the singer, you'll be the blogger, the podcaster, the athlete. Yeah. But you're not that like, now. Yeah, but no, and the important thing I think to remember is no one, like there aren't some special people. I mean, maybe with athletes there are, right? But mostly there aren't some special, because of the physical part of it, there mostly aren't some special people who when they were born, were an author right or a podcaster certainly because when we were born there weren't podcasts um you know so certainly no one was born a podcaster right but there are just some people who have done some things and you know you i a listener may just have not done those things yet and if you do those things and it is scary like there's a part of the transformational journey that involves essentially dying and being reborn and it's like yes it's not it's not easy but don't forget that like courage which is just acting in the face of fear that's just what courage is um like it's one of the most for me at least it's one of the most admirable human qualities when you see a true act of courage on on tv or in real life that's when the tears are in my eyes right that's like you know in sport you know that's why yeah. the x factor and all those tv shows are so successful because you get to see right. an act of courage in front of you of someone who doesn't know if they can make it and you get to see them often making it, it anyways like, yes exactly right like it's so admirable 
And most people, when they think, I think, I don't know if this is true, but for me, you know, now, and I think it's like, I want to be someone who does acts of courage. And so that requires, again, the same thing. It requires not listening to the imposter syndrome, maybe seeing it, noticing it, remembering that it's keeping us safe, not listening to the self-doubt, not listening to the resistance, seeing it, noticing it, knowing it's just trying to keep itself or, or us safe and doing the thing anyway. And that's like a beautiful part of life. So building on that, you had this moment of courage. And then what's your story? What, what was that moment of courage that all of a sudden you were like, you know what, I'm going to, to write a book and the book is going to be about how to start when you're stuck. There yeah. must have been like a moment of knowing you. There must have been like something. Yeah. Well, it, it wasn't exactly like you said, but in a way it was. So it was in about 2016. So I'd done the coaching training where we met and I'd started to use the things that I learned from, from the war of art and elsewhere about this on my business. Um, and I was working with a coach called Joel and there were like, I was really exploring for the first time. Like it, uh, well, over those few years, I was really exploring like, what's possible about how I can change myself so that I can have more an experience of life that I want to have and less of awesome. this crushing, you know, really more difficult one that I, that I had. And it certainly does feel to me like the things I've done have got me much closer to that place. Now, so partly this came up because of what Joel and I were working on. It's like, there's this, un this is really like, I was anxious about posting things on the internet. Like, oh, we all are. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't know that at the time, though, right? And and I don't know. That, I think like the internet was. It was like 2016, so certainly in the UK, there was a lot of weird stuff happening culturally, and so there was a bit of a kind of unpleasant. Facebook was just changing into a kind of less pleasant, more unpleasant place. I'm not sure it's ever recovered from that. Um, and but it wasn't even that. It was, so it wasn't like about the creativity. It was like even making jokes on Facebook. I was like, I don't want, I would, I would like I'm half write it. I would like stop. I would like feel anxious and I would delete it. And, and that happened yes. everywhere. Right. And in my life, in different places that was happening. And I guess I, I, I didn't like the way that made me feel. I guess it didn't feel like it. That was who I wanted to be. And also I kind of knew in my business that being able, able to be public facing, able to share things online would be useful. Like it would be a shame. I wouldn't, didn't know that I would want to do it as much as I have, but it, I knew that, that like it was, it would be a problem at some point or it, it would be useful to be able to do it, it anyway. Be, so that yes, was there. Exactly. Just like right now, like learning podcasting, learning TikTok, right. learning LinkedIn, learning all that stuff. Exactly. It's useful to be able to do it. Kind of useless and, I, and useful. And I certainly didn't want to feel like I couldn't do it out of, fear yeah. right or whatever was going it's like um <laughs> one of my mentors robert holden he asked a great question which is um is this fear talking or is this wisdom talking so it's perfectly fine to not post on tiktok if wisdom is saying the thing for you to do is this other thing it's not such a good reason to not post on tiktok or at the time facebook for me because i'm afraid like that's not as good a reason for all the reasons we've just been saying so that was all going on and then the other important thing to put in there is one of my favorite bits of the war of art And this, you know, makes sense given everything we've been talking about transformation. One of the things he says in the War of Art is a good rule of thumb, something like this. A good rule of thumb is the more important something is to our soul's evolution, the greater the resistance we will feel towards doing. So the more important something is to our soul's evolution, 
i.e. the more important it is for us to grow in that way, the more uncomfortable we'll feel, the more we'll procrastinate, the more we'll think we're an imposter and not do it. Okay, so it's like, I knew that. So I also knew there's this whole pile of resistance here. I don't know how and why it's important, but I, if I believe in what Stephen Pressfield's saying, and by this point, I'd seen a lot of it to be true, there's probably something important here for me. <laughs> so in a way, that is the kind of, that's where this all emerged from. And how it emerged was that Joel and I designed a practice, which was, so this is a practice about sharing myself online. We've been talking a bit about writing, so there was a writing thing in there, but it was really from the sharing place. But we, we kind of killed those two birds with one stone. The practice we came up with was, um, I had a short train journey from where I live in southwest London into the centre of town. Yeah. Um, I, I did it like five, three, I did it three days a week at the time. And the, 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 the game was, I was doing it five times in the next two weeks, on each time, right while the train's right. moving, stop when the train stops, proofread whatever I've written once and then post it online. And I was going and to post it on LinkedIn. And that's how you started. Yes, right. because I remember perfectly. It was like the stories of Robbie writing while he's in a train. The train on the train. Of, I don't the know first, the first, yeah. The first 10 or something were called the train series. Yeah, it was like um, a train. Yeah. And it was great. It was a great way to do it because it took the pressure off because it's like all my imposter syndrome and self-doubt is like, you know, essentially comes down to people like people will hate what I've made or they'll laugh at me because I'm not really a writer, right? And um, I wasn't a writer, Monica. That's the truth at the time because I hadn't really written anything. I mean, I'd written a few things over, you know, I had. I had written a lot of stuff in some ways over the years, more than many people had, but I wasn't writing. Like, how do you know if someone's a writer? Well, they probably write regularly and I wasn't. So I wasn't a writer and I felt like that. Um, and then, but it was like, if I've written it on the train and I put a little thing at the bottom of each of the posts saying, this was written on the train. It's like, you were a writer. No pressure, but but yeah. like no pressure on me uh, about getting it right it because like a, it's written on the train. Like if it's crap, it's like that's okay. On the train. Because yeah. because I wrote it, I, I proofread it once. It's like it's fine. So all that fear, no all that desire to get it perfect, all that unless it's this good, I don't count. All to a certain extent removed. Now it wasn't all removed. It was still scary to press post on those pieces, yes. but I did it. I didn't die. No one commented saying they they hated it. Um, no one laughed at me audibly in my presence. Like a few people liked them. I posted it on LinkedIn because I thought no one really read LinkedIn, which I think was kind of true in 2016. It's a bit yeah. less true now. Um, and and so at the end of the five that we originally did, I went on holiday and it was like, I don't know if you know this feeling. It was like, it hadn't really felt fun to do or nice, but it felt good. It was like, yes, this right. is the like the right thing to do. There's something yeah. in this. Maybe there'd been a few comments by that point, but most importantly, like it felt right. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because, you know, you get the, when you, when you do something courageous, you act in spite of the fear, you get the rush of courage after that. So you're like, I, I did it. <laughs> and, and then, I and you've changed, it. like you've already yes, done you've the changed. first mini cycle of change. So it's like, yes. you've, you know, confidence, um, this is an important thing that I learned and it's wrapped up in what we're saying. It's like confidence always comes after. We think that like the imposter syndrome thing as well, I guess is a bit of like uh, that woman over there, she's meant to do this leading thing because she's a confident woman. I don't feel confident. Therefore I am not a leader. Right. But it's like, maybe she is confident and maybe she just looks it right. That's part one. And part two is she probably only became confident by doing the by thing. Doing. So I, I am I a confident writer now, 
I wasn't after five. I was a bit more confident after five than I was before. But what happened then was I decided to make it a weekly practice. So I've been writing an article in that way every week since 20, since September, 2016, plus the five before that. So I'm on like five and a half years now getting on for six. Um, after a while, I stopped getting the train as much and I checked how long the train journey was that day or one a day. And it was about 12 minutes. So now what I do is I set a timer. I write for 12 minutes while the time is going, stop when it stopped, proofread it once and post it online. It's still on LinkedIn for oh. now. I might stop that. It's on my website. So people can go back and read. And it's like, I just wrote the 250th one last week. Oh, so nice. 250. Cause I've been on holiday a few times and, and that yeah. kind of thing. So that it hasn't been every week, but so oh. there's now 250 of those. And then and if, you, if you want, I can then zero. get to the book. Of course. I started with zero. And the funny thing that I noticed recently as well, like thinking about the keeping going piece is like, there were some people that had written a lot of articles before I'd written any. And I remember thinking my friend Alex wrote a, had a LinkedIn article that went viral um, about his, I think because the CEO of LinkedIn shared it and then it went a bit nuts because um, he'd written like lessons from a hundred LinkedIn articles. And oh, when cool. he wrote that, I was like, my word, how will I ever, how do you ever write a hundred LinkedIn articles? And I've, I've written about 120 more articles than Alex has written by now. And I did it one week at a time. Amazing. And then we can talk about the books if, if we want to, because the yes. books emerged from this too. Yes. I, there is a specific chapter in the book that I want to talk about. I don't remember the title of the book, but there's a, a chapter that you talk about death. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the thing, the thing is, if you write in how I wrote, so just to tie that up, the, um, the book then after three years, and then I'll come to the death piece, because this is important to know how the book was written and why this chapter is in there is important. Um, the book, basically after about three years, I thought it would be interesting. I thought I could put the articles that I'd written into a book. I'd seen Seth Godin do something like this with one of his, with some of his blog. And I also realized like LinkedIn is quite, if someone wanted to read all my articles, LinkedIn is like an unwieldy way to do that. It's much worse than a website. It's like quite hard to even find the articles that I've written, let alone read them all. And I was like, for the 10 people that might want to do that, and maybe for some more in the future, it'd be good to put them in a book. And then people could actually go through and read them all and, and find them all in one place. And I thought it'd be funny because I could call the book, I wrote this book in 12 minutes as a challenge to people oh, to be course. like, you know, you only need 12 minutes a week, which is essentially the lesson of, of how yeah. I wrote these books. You only need 12 minutes a week. So really all the excuses you've got for not doing it, they aren't real. Just do 12 minutes a week and see what happens. And, you know, then my friend Steve, who was going to help me um, edit it, he said, well, can the book itself do that? Can the book itself help people with their thing they haven't been doing? And I was like, I don't know. So what I did was I got out all the articles and I thought about what are the stages that I want to help people through? What have I learned about how you, you get right. something, a creative project done? And it turned out that I had basically been writing about that process over the three years of the blog that I had at that point. Yeah. It's not surprising looking back because I was, I was right. If you're writing a piece in 12 minutes, you're just writing about what's present for you that day, that week. And what I was wrestling with was how do I, do these things that I'm afraid of doing? How do I have my own business? How do I write? How do I um, create other things, right? How do I change as a human? That's what I was doing and I was coaching. And coaching really is just helping somebody do the thing they want to do and don't know how to do yet. Like that's what it is. And 
that, oh, that's why people come to coaching. So I was not only doing it myself, but that was the work I was doing. So, and I was writing just about what was present that day. Was, yes. and so of course it was a book about how to get things that you want to do done. And in the end it became four books because it was actually a bit unwieldy as one book because over three years I had like 12 minutes a at a time. I had 80,000 words or something. And it's like, actually it's, they, they work better. And, and you know, I was thinking about what are the books that I love, The War of Art, Big Magic, some of those things. They're like, they're not an unwieldy book, right? They're a book that you can get Simple. into. And so that's why How to Start When You're Stuck is like 20,000 words and, and the others in the series will be too. To come back to the article about the, the what chapter about death, which I think, let me just get the book. I think the chapter is called Death Changes Everything. Um, let me see if I can find the contents page in my book and check that. Um, I'm not sure I can. Um, yeah, it is. Death Changes Everything. And like the reason that, that how the book was yes. written is important is because if you write about what's present for you, over three years, like I think it's quite hard to write a book about something as complex as creativity, as, as making something from nothing, as doing these things that we want to do but aren't doing. And if I tried to sit down and write it in a normal way, I actually think it would have been less good than how I wrote it. Because what emerged was the full picture of what it's like to be someone wrestling with their creative battles and working with people who are wrestling with their creative battles over a longer period. Mm. And one of the things that happens in life is death. Like people yeah. die and things die and it means that you know I'm not sure if I'd sat down to write a book about starting that I would have written a chapter about death like now I would but if I'd done it three years ago I don't think I would have and you know death is one of the reasons to do the things that you want to do that you feel like an imposter about or afraid of doing because you can always imagine that one day you'll learn and then you won't feel like an imposter and that'll be the time and you won't feel afraid and that'll be the time to do the thing, but we don't all get that day because people die. And it's, yes. a, it's a hard thing to talk about, but you know, it, certainly in my life, and I think that's when death changes everything, that chapter was written. There are times when death seems to just show up. Like it, it doesn't seem to come in a linear way for me. There'll be no death in my, in my close orbits for years and then there'll be more of it it'll just come it'll be like here I am yeah. don't forget me right you're not going to have forever and that chapter death changes everything is in part three of the book which is why start so the first part of the book is only start first thing to do just start the thing right the second part is how to start so that's got a whole load of thought experiments and ideas for the ways in which you might get yourself going or the things you might use as the kind of compass to start you off and the third part is about, well, why is it important that you do this? And one of the reasons is we don't all get all the tomorrows we imagine and better to, better to be the person you want to be now, not wait for I the perfect that. moment. I love it. And you know what, Mike, I've been, the past few weeks, I've been thinking a lot about death and I was like, why am I thinking a lot about death? But it's in a very positive, empowering way. And probably it's because I read your book. Otherwise, I don't know. Mm. I don't know where, where it came from specifically. But the thought that has been coming to my mind that it's giving me a lot of courage mm. is that it's like, we're going to die, right? There's a lot of stigma around death, always. And a lot of pain and a lot of these, and you know, like emotions. Death is like charged with emotions. Yeah. But somehow I've, I've managed to be like the opposite, the opposite type of emotion. It's like, it's so freeing and so empowering to know that we're going to die because then it's like, 
we're going to die. Like, who cares what you're doing? I've messed up so many times in the past six months. <laughs> yeah. It's like, by now it's like, who cares? Like, you're going to die and he's going to die and everybody's going to die and it will not matter. Yeah. So you might as well just like do the thing because you're going to die. And it's not sad. It is kind yeah. of a, it's a relief. It doesn't well, it's matter. Like, it's like, it's like, it's just true, isn't it? I mean, you know, not that we shouldn't do the things that we all do to avoid it happening sooner. Right. But like there is a, there is a release in it. And, uh, you know, there's a, another piece that is going to be in book three, I think, um, which is still the most read piece of, that I've written in 12 minutes. Um, the name of which has I've entirely forgotten. I can't remember it. Uh, I can look it up after the show and, and send you a link if, if that's useful. But um, yeah. you know, it was written inspired by a chapter in a book by an Argentinian writer called Fred Kaufman. And he has a book, you know, his book is um, The Meaning Revolution, The Power of Transcendent Leadership. But the chapter is about death. Mm. Um, and one of the things he says is, you know, he always, he tries to go into all his coaching sessions, imagining this might be the last time he ever um, speaks to that client. And what's oh. great about that is you stop worrying about what the right, about whether it's okay to do something or say something about there's, there's less politeness. There's just real service because it's like, because it if I only get last, this last yeah. chance to speak to you, I want to give you everything I can give you in this moment. Of and course. that's a bit, for me, that was what came up when you were speaking. It's like, it, it is sad to think of death. Like it is sad. There's a lot of that emotion because we won't, that, that we won't always have the people we love around us and we won't be around forever. You know, I've got an 18 month old, 17 month old daughter. You know, I won't be around for her whole life. Like no. if I'm really lucky, like um, if I'm unlucky, I will. Right. But I, I don't want to be right. And, but that means I won't see all of the things that she does. And that's sad. It is sad, you know, and like it's freeing because it's like, well, it then, then what? Yeah. If that's all true, which it is true, unfortunately, we unless we're really that. lucky, that's... unless we're really lucky and they, they do the technology market before <laughs> yes, we get then, to that and age and we live forever. Like, yeah. But mostly, but so, so, and then age. what, right? And then what, you know, if that's true, then what? And then what is, we'll have a wonderful, I should, you know, then I need to have a wonderful relationship with Leah while I can and yes. do everything I can to make sure that's true. And no one regrets like the things that people regret, like you can read books about this now. Oh, it's the, the quality of the relationships, yes. it's experience, it's, uh, and it, and I think as far as I know, it's like not doing, not being brave enough, not doing the acts of courage. So it's like, I wish I'd started that business. And I, I do this sometimes with my clients, right? I ask them like, we try and shortcut to it to make sure that the deathbed regrets don't happen. Like what are the things that would make you sad at the end of your life? But you don't leave it there, right? That's the morbid bit. You just say, these are 10 things that I would really regret if I died. That's not that, that's not that useful. No, that's not but if you, then, if you then turn that into 10 commitments that you can live every day by, then that's a really different thing. So for me, it's like, um, one of them is, I had, to, I had to redo this recently because, well, it was really good to redo it recently as a father, because they're, a, they're, they're really different now. And there are a whole new load of new things that, I, that would make me sad. So it's like, I'm a commitment to being there for all the important moments in Leah's life, right? Because it would be, I would be so sad at the end of my life if I'd missed something yeah. that really mattered to her. Like that would yeah. be, that'd be a genuine regret. Um, 
but but also like you know they can be about work they can be about but they tend to you know if i had written this if i hadn't published this book i suspect there might have been one in there if i hadn't started that writing practice there might have been one in there about like you know writing to not not being brave enough to do those kind of things the creative projects right exactly so i i do think that those those creative projects and and yeah I, i do this with clients sometimes and those kind of things often come up you know it's like I'd be sad if I hadn't really backed myself to do something that was truly mine. Yeah. You know, like that, that kind of thing. And, and then yeah. it becomes, then it, then it becomes a commitment that you can live into, right? I am a commitment to really backing myself and doing something that is truly mine. And if yes. you read that to yourself every day, your life will change. Awesome. I, it's like, I'll write that down. <laughs> and then it's, yeah. it is, it is a commitment to yourself. That reminds me of, I had a really good mentor. Uh, earlier in my career and then years later I realized he was so important in my life because he believed in me more than I did and he gave me Mm. these huge projects and because of that I started building that belief in me yeah yeah. it was like somebody else believed in you and then you start believing in yourself but then it's the moment where you're like well if he believed in me then and I did it then now I believe in me therefore I can go and do it, right? I can yeah, well, just like. It, it, it's funny, Monica. What it reminds me it of. What it reminds me of is, you know, it's good to have written. It's good to be writing a book about doing this stuff because writing and publishing a book brought up all turning. The, so I then t- turned these pieces into books, right? And for, for various reasons, which we could say were resistance, it took two years from that conversation with Steve about can the book be a book and sorting those pieces into the essentially the order they will appear in these books it took two years to publish the first one. And like, what's that about? Right. We could talk about that, but I don't think we need to, but like in the run up to it, one of the things that happened for me was I was like, I didn't want, so in the, you know, in the front of books, you often have like authors you've never heard of writing a nice thing about the book that you're reading. And I didn't want to do that. And I thought, what do I actually want in the front of the book? Like, what do I, who do I, like success for me for this book is I thought about this really carefully, real success isn't selling books or making money from it. It's having people write to me and say, I've been wanting to do that thing, this thing for a long time. I came across your work and now I've done it. And so I was like, well, what are those people want to read at the start of a book to, to decide whether they're going to buy it? And I was like, I want to find the people that can already say that about me and my work. So I found clients, People I'd run a, I ran a writing group at one point using 12 minute method. I, you know, other, other people who could write something like that. And that's what's in the front of the book under the impacts section. So I'll show you on the, you can see it on the camera here. Now, what was funny was when I was um, publishing this book, I had all the imposter syndrome, all the resistance, all those thoughts, all that self-doubt coming back. Like, who are you to do this? What have you got to say? about creativity like why you you haven't even planned a book properly you just wrote it 12 minutes at a time like it's absolute nonsense swale what are you doing right i had that all that sounds I, that sounds like the voice of imposter syndrome. that is like real, the real right? voice yeah and do you know what i did like i read these impact things because i was like these are i can't remember if it's 10 or 12 people yeah. who who i trust right they are not they're not like um saying this to be nice because they've got integrity just like your mentor. And they are saying these things. I didn't say they had to do it. I gave them a lot of ways out of doing this. And some people who I asked to do it didn't do it. So these people chose to write something to go in the front of this book. But I kept reading that because I wasn't yet the person who'd published a book. I didn't know what that was. And I had to, 
had to cheat, right? You know, I had to trust the other people to be able to get through that. But if you've got a mentor, you've got somebody who's put faith in you, the more black and white you can make it, like, you know, it, it was undeniable that these people had said this thing because I could read it. Like yeah, I couldn't with a mentor, like, I might have, I might be doubting it. I might be like, well, I think she said that, but it was 12 years ago and I can't quite remember. I might be making that up. It's written down. There's yeah. no denying it for me. And I actually have a, it used to, a, a word document, which has got all these and more in. It used to be called Testimonial Bank, which is a really dull name. And now it's called, um, you are awesome, Robbie, don't forget it which oh, is like pinned that. to my taskbar. And it's got a load of, it's got these and a load more things in it. And if I am in the doubt place, it's like everyone should keep a list of those things. I can go to that document and just read a couple. And it's really hard because I don't like really that. I, I had a practice for a little while of reading them out loud to my wife. Um, and it was really horrible. Like I couldn't do it, but it was good. <laughs> it was like, it was really good to do it. Cause it's like, you could just see the nonsense, you know, it's like our mutual friend, Nicole, actually Brigandi wrote, wrote a, yeah. a piece about working with me once. And it's in that document. And that was one of the ones I read to Emma and, you know, I could feel myself wincing and going weird as I read it out, but it's like, you, you just see yourself then. And it's like, but Nicole is a woman of great integrity and she is incredibly astute. And there is no chance she is saying this and doesn't mean it. So why am I, it's, what respect am I why giving am her I? Yeah. by going like, by cringing and like imagining that it's not true? You know, who, who's that, that about? And what's that about? That's such a good point. And that so I think that the, the mentor piece is so good. And it's like, if you do what, basically it's a version of do anything that you need to do, like be humble. You are going to doubt yourself. Everyone is going to doubt themselves when they're doing something scary or crazy or out there anything that's going to transform them so like do the things you need to do to get through that it's not listen to the voice if you need to like like remember the people that have put faith we need to remember the people that have put faith in us that have written something about us or said something to us or given like in a way your mentors was even better than writing something because his action shows you that he believes in you because he says here's this big important thing Go and do it. you do it monica I believe that you can do it. I'm going to, yes. in my action, trust you to do it. That's an incredibly powerful thing. It so is. it's like, but it's we, we sometimes need to write that stuff down so that even our self-doubt and our imposter syndrome and our resistance and our fear can't deny it. You know, you look at it and you go, I want to believe the fear because that's kind of nicer and safer than I don't have to do the thing. But if, you know, if these 10 people, 12 people have written this about me, if that mentor gave me these projects, really, I can't believe the thoughts. And it's because this is more solid. Yeah, yeah, it stays with it you. It stays with you. It just stays with you. Amazing. So, Robbie, we covered a lot. What is your final takeaway for anyone yeah. listening? It's been such such a pleasure, Monica, um, to have this conversation. And, and like, I love the questions you've asked, and I love that we talked about death and got into that that place because. You know, when I sat down a couple of years ago and I designed a new way of working with clients, I, I went back to doing some shorter work, which I didn't do for quite a while because I felt like it didn't have the long, it didn't have a, a long enough impact in my work. And I designed an engagement, which I was like, how can I be as sure as possible that this work will have a long-term impact? Like one of the most important things we, I could do with people, one of them was that exercise about the commitments and being sad and regrets. And yeah, I do think yeah. it's one of the most important things we can think about as humans. Like the worst case other than dying before your children or, or, or um, you know, uh, after your, after your, uh, or before your parent, uh, uh, yeah, 
other than dying after your children or before your parents, I think like the worst case is you get to the end and you realize there's some regrets that you could have done something about earlier and you haven't thought about that. Much better to know about them now. So that's in a way one, but we've already covered that. The other one I would say is I get quite interested in, you know, I'm no expert in this, but I spent a lot of time thinking about how the world works mm -hmm. and where it doesn't and how to make it better and what doesn't work. And it, I actually think most people are overly confident about what will make the world better. And because the world is really complex and it's really hard to know what the, um, what the knock-on effects of the things we do will be. It's really hard to know. Basically, we can't know, in my view. <laughs> now, I'm aware that I'm now going to say something, which I may be overconfident about making the world better. So I thought about this a lot, and I thought really about, uh, you know, at a deep level, what, what, what do I know? Where are the places I can be most confident that the world gets better in some way? And creative hell that people find themselves in is one of those things. And that's why this work, this creativity work is so important to me. So I know what it's like internally to be in that place of creative hell, whether that's about asking somebody out, like I said before, or starting a business or writing something, or, you know, whatever it is. I know what it's like to feel like you know what you want to do and feel unable to do it. Like I used to have it a lot about singing at, at karaoke. Like I know that sounds like a trivial thing, but it was like, it, oh, it's funny it's and it was, it was hell. It was actually brutal. Yes. Like, so you know all those places where we can really feel like our soul asking to do something and when don't we feel too scared or unable to do it that is hell and if we can take people out of that the world is a better place so that's important another and, and the other side of that is almost everything that people want to do from asking somebody out to singing at a karaoke party to writing a book or starting a business i've rarely asked someone about the things they're in creative hell about and they've said something that I'm not sure I've ever done this. And they've said something which didn't make the world better, which wasn't, it didn't feel like it was tilting the world towards the good and the true and the beautiful. So not only does creative hell make life hell in, inside us, but actually usually the things that we want to do tilt the world in a good way as well, as far as I've seen. So that's all my way of saying it's time for everyone to do the Stop thing. procrastinating. Imposter Absolutely. syndrome is just in your head. Yeah, it's just in our heads. And we don't just need to believe the things that our heads tell us. No. Because our souls know, right? Yeah, it just, it knows. It knows when to say yes and it knows when to say no. And I think actually that for me, it's a big takeaway this, at this moment. That is our head can tell us tons of things. Yeah. And it will get us confused because another topic of, that it's like causing to the imposter syndrome is the overthinker. Yeah. And look, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the king of overthinkers as far as I know. We like, all are. But then, yeah, but the Monica, way you, should, to you should see stop. some of my overthinking. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> the, the whole thing, right? The whole 12 minute method is a practice in getting out of my thinking. If you think about how, if you think about how I write when I, with a timer, how one writes, if you think about the fact that it was just proofread it once, get it online, all of that is about getting out of the thinking, out of the, the, the trying to get in the headspace and into the, the creative flow, right? And, and in the flow, in the gut, in the episode altogether. I would love back. to do that, Monica. I've had a wonderful you have time. Have to come back. <laughs> happy to come back anytime. Yes. Thank you. So just to wrap that up. So instead of overthinking, we were just saying the soul, the heart just knows. You know whether yeah. it's a yes, you know whether it's a no, and you know whether it's coming from fear or if it's coming from a happy, wisdom. lovely place. Wisdom, wisdom. Yeah, not absolutely. Love. 
yeah. yeah. And then if we just use that, forget about the mind, forget about overcoming anything, forget about resistance, just like connect with that, with your heart, with your soul and listen, what should yeah. I do? Do this, yeah. don't do it because it, it also tells you what not to do. And you can change your mind too. It's like, just listen to yourself and that's it. I'm like, I'm finished with my so sad now. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Robbie, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show. But before you go, where can people find you and where can we buy the book? <laughs> so um, the best place to go is just robbieswale.com. Or if you just Google me, like I have a, I seem to be the only one. There's a Robbie Swales somewhere, but you, you generally find me if you do that. I'm on the social medias. Uh, most of them, not TikTok, although we talked about that in this episode. You'll be soon. You'll find, be me on soon. Mo find me on most of them. Um, the books are Amazon and other places, um, at least in the UK, the US, you can get it places like Waterstones and Barnes and Noble, as well as um, as well as Amazon. Um, but all the links to that are on yes. um, uh, at robbieswale.com. Um, and then it, just on the off chance, we, we haven't really talked about it, but you mentioned it in the intro because you did. Um, I have a separate part of my work, which is for coaches. Yes. Um, about helping coaches create thriving businesses, thrive as people while they do it. Of course, everything we've spoken about today comes up for coaches. But if there's any coaches listening, I collected loads of resources about that, including a podcast where I speak to other coaches about, about how they have, have um, thrived as coaches. That's all at thecoachesjourney.com or on all the podcast places. And you have the community too. Yeah, and that includes, yeah, you're absolutely right. That includes uh, what has evolved. And, and there's a podcast episode on my podcast about how that evolved. What's evolved into that is, in a way, the, the best bit of it now that I like the best is this small but beautiful community of, uh, I think, 12 coaches at the moment who come together several, you know, once a month-ish, some of them, and some a bit a bit less frequent um, to, to, to work together on, on life as a coach. So that's Oh, that I and, should join you. <laughs> love to have you there yeah, yeah. If, yeah if it comes yeah. the time when you want to when you're when you want to like start that come thing back into coaching if that's the thing yeah then then definitely come along you'll love those people one of them said a really nice thing the other day which is the word that keep they have a little private whatsapp group that i'm not in which i i really like because it, it's when the work that you make grows beyond what you imagine for it so it's absolutely beautiful that they've got this community whatsapp group that i'm not in um which has former members in it as well which is all great because i love it i like it and they said the word that keeps coming up is beautiful. That's what beautiful. this is like. So it's, it's like, yeah, by all means come to that. Um, but yeah, people can find links to that as well there at thecoachesjourney.com. So that's all, there's those two sites, but yeah. That's, that's the best places to well, go. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you in the show. Everyone go and follow Robbie, re-listen to the episode. We have many gems of wisdom in there. And do send us your comments, questions. I know that imposter syndrome is a big topic. And actually, Sal, if you're listening till the end, this episode is especially for you because you asked for it in LinkedIn. Yay to Sal. Will you well, and share it Sal, with yeah. your friends, Sal, because that's why we have this episode. So this episode was sponsored by Sal in Vietnam. <laughs> inspired not sponsored inspired by sal in vietnam so sal actually you'll get early access <laughs> okie dokie everyone see you next week robbie it's been a pleasure sending you much love to everyone ciao ciao